If you guys have your Bibles with you tonight, I invite you to open up Psalm. We're going to be in 134. We'll start. Go ahead, bro. It's not a problem. We're going to start on Psalm 134. It's the last of the Psalms of Ascents. And it's a, a Psalm of Blessing. And as we look at it, first it begins with uh, blessing the Lord. Behold, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who by night stand in the house of the Lord. To bless God, all we have to do is simply praise who He is. That, that we have a, an accurate uh, depiction of God. So we start there, we bless the first blessing, uh, to bless the Lord, to proclaim Him rightly, who He is. Then it says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. And then in verse 3, the Lord who made heaven and earth bless you from Zion. So in order to bless God, we just proclaim him as he really is. In order for God to bless man, he makes him what he has not or what he is not. God, in that relationship that we have with the Lord, what's he do? The word of God tells us that if, we, if he begins a good work in us, what, what's he do? He'll finish it. If he starts to work. So in order for God to bless us, he's changing us. It's not... The whole world wants to be, to, to be able to be accepted by God just as they are. And while you can come to God just as you are, you're not ever accepted just as you are. There's nothing good in us. We're separated by sin. But because God loves us, he accepts us and then what? Begins a work. And he begins to transform us, that we would conform into the image of his son, not into the image of the world, that we become more like Jesus. That's ultimately our goal. So he begins, Psalm 134, bless the Lord, and the Lord bless man, that his blessing would come to us from Zion. Now, Psalm 135, we begin. Psalm 135 is the last of the Hallel Psalms. You remember what uh, Hallel meant? Remember I taught you a Hebrew word a while back? Nobody remembers it? Hallelujah. Yeah, look, I heard it. Hallelujah. What's it mean? Praise the Lord. See how smart you are? So you look at Psalm 135, and the first phrase in Hebrew is hallelujah. Or praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, he begins. Praise the name of of Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D. Remember, every time we see that, that's the proper name of God. Y-H-V-H, tetragrammaton, the impronounceable name of God, four consonants together. We typically uh, say it as Yahweh. So praise the name of Yahweh. Praise Him, O you servants of Yahweh. You who stand in the house of Yahweh, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise Yahweh, for Yahweh is good. Sing praises to his name, for it is pleasant. So the idea that this psalm begins, a Hallel psalm, a praise, hallelujah. A Hallel psalm begins praising God because of our admiration, because of our love, because of our understanding of what he has done for us, what he gives us, what he's doing for us. And so our response is always to praise him. And it's no different in our normal relationships day to day. If you got a really close friend, you don't have a hard time praising them. If you love your husband or wife, you don't have a hard time praising them. 
Because if you love them, it just happens. You say good things about each other. You praise, uh, you, you praise one another. You want to tell people how great this is. How great the, this relationship is. What a blessing they are to you. And that's the same thing that's going on in the first three verses. He's singing their praises. And then he tells why. He tells why in verse 4. Because the Lord, Yahweh, has chosen Jacob for himself. And Israel for his special treasure. And whenever we come to the idea of, of God's choosing, you know the word of God tells us that, that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. And a lot of times people want to trip out on that. I personally have tripped out on that before. The idea that we are chosen in Christ. But what I want you to see in this, it's, I'm going I'm to take you on a quick tour of it. But as we take a look at it, realize that what God has done is chosen Christ. And all those who are in Christ are His in the same way that God chose Jacob. Remember there were two kids, Jacob and Esau? Before they were born, God chose Jacob. He chose Jacob. What, what came from Jacob? A nation. Right? Remember they went into Egypt with 70 and how many did they come out with? A couple million? That's the nation. 70 is a big enough family, isn't it? You have this nation divided by 12 tribes. And what did God do through that vehicle? The vehicle being the nation of Israel. What did God do through that vehicle? He entered into the first covenant. Right? Remember Passover? Remember all those things that God did for the people? So when, how, how did you become a part of Israel? Israel, the scripture tells Israel wasn't about birth. The, the Lord said, don't, don't say that you're, you belong to Israel because you're sons of Abraham. God could raise up sons of Abraham from the rocks. So that's not it. What is it? That you enter into that relationship with God by faith in the first covenant. The covenant that God presented through Passover as they went to Mount Sinai for the law. And then all the while the nation of Israel was walking around in the first covenant, what were they looking for? A new covenant. Jeremiah, right? Remember Jeremiah saying, one day God's going to make a new covenant. He's going to put his laws in your heart. He's going to work inside of you. And then what did Jesus say when he came at that final Passover, the Last Supper? What did he say? He lifted up the cup and he said what? This cup is the new covenant, my blood shed for you. Ushering in what? A new thing. What was a new thing? Being in Christ. Being in Christ. So I just want to, just take a minute with me and let me, let me try to, to paint that picture for you. Hold your finger here, we're coming back. But I want you to kind of grasp this idea of being chosen. Flip forward into the New Testament. All the way to the book of Matthew, first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 22, Jesus tells a parable you're, you may be familiar with that um, I think helps to illustrate this idea, the concept of being chosen, and it's a, a parable about exactly what Jesus Christ is doing as he comes. Look what it says, Matthew 22 verse 1, and Jesus answered and spoke to them again by a parable, and he said... The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. And he sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. But they were not willing to come. 
So you see the, the initial part of Jesus' ministry. What's he doing? He's going out, he's sharing, he's doing his thing. But for the most part, people don't want to come. Now, why don't they want to come? Because their eyes have been closed. God said he closed their eyes. He hardened their heart. For what purpose? To bring about redemption. How did he bring about redemption? Crucifixion. If all the people accepted Christ right then, you and I could not be in Christ today. So part of God's redemptive plan was to harden the hearts of the Jews, to blind their eyes. Why did he speak to them in parables? What's the Bible say? He spoke to them in parables, so what? Seeing they wouldn't understand. Hearing they wouldn't perceive. They wouldn't quite grasp it. For what purpose? Because Christ came to do what? To die. He came to go to the cross. There was not another plan. That was God's purpose. Jesus is going to the cross. If you read Romans 9, 10, 11, you're going to hear Paul talk about this idea that God has blinded the eyes of the Jews. And then he's going to say, has he done it forever? Certainly not. Certainly not. Why did God blind their eyes? So Jesus would go to the cross and what? Then the opportunity for redemption would go to the world. The opportunity of redemption would go to the world. New covenant would be ushered by the blood of Jesus Christ. So look what happens. So Jesus is, is out calling people. They're unwilling to come. Verse 4. Again, he sent out other servants saying, tell, tell those who are invited. See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and the fatted cattle are killed. And all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their own way. One to his farm another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. And what's that a picture of in the parable? All the prophets, isn't it? All the prophets that God sent to his people, all the prophets to to, uh, begin to prepare the way of the Lord. In fact, the last prophet, what happened to him? Who was the last prophet? Anybody know? John the Baptist. What happened to him? He got beheaded, right? He got beheaded. So, it's, it's, here's the invitation going. Here's the invitation going. What do they do to the, to the prophets? In fact, when Jesus is being crucified, he's going to say, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who do what? Kill the prophets and those who are sent to you. How often I've wanted to gather you together as a, as a, as a hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. Their hearts being hardened, their eyes being blinded for the purpose of what? Redemption. So that the world would be saved. So what happens? Uh, scripture goes on in, in Matthew 22. It tells us, And when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sat on his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Oh, what's that? How about 70 AD? Jesus said that before that generation passed away, that God was going to judge Jerusalem. 70 AD, what happened? Titus Vespasian came in and burned that city to the ground. Destroyed the temple, wiped it out. Why? Because they rejected their Messiah. They were held accountable. Why are they held accountable? Because when I say God hardens their heart, He's not working against their purpose. He's standing there making their purpose firm. 
In other words, their hearts were already against God before Jesus ever came. And God said, okay, that's where you want to be. Bang, you're going to stay there and we're headed to the cross. Crucifixion is going to happen. Well, the world's going to be saved. But the opportunity for salvation is going to continue to go out. What's the vehicle that God has chosen to save Jesus Christ? You're going to see it, hopefully, as we bring this idea full circle. But let's take a look at the rest of what he says. So... It says, then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited are not worthy. Therefore, go to the highways, and as many as you find, invite them to the wedding. So where does the gospel go? Whosoever will, right? Out everywhere. To anybody who will listen, everybody you run into. Look how he describes it. He says, therefore, go to the highways, as many as you find, invite them. So the servants went out into the highways, gathered together all whom they found, both what? Bad and good. So any kind of person? Every kind of person? Good people, bad people? They all got invited. Right? So everybody's getting invited. Everyone's getting invited. But when the king came to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. Now when you entered into a wedding, what would happen is the guy who's running the wedding... In this case, the master, you would come in. Now, you might be poor, you might be rich. But when you were throwing this wedding feast, he would also have garments for you. So when you came in, he'd give you whatever the garments were. In this case, you know, I I I choose to picture you, picture how you want. But I picture a nice, you know, white robe, you know, covering. And they put that on. And everybody who has that on, they know, yep, he's in the, he's in the wedding, he's in the wedding. But he's come upon someone who doesn't have the, it on. It's not because he couldn't. Because the pile of clothing was right there when he walked in. How come he doesn't have it on? Because he wouldn't. No, I'm not, I'm not coming in that way. I'm just coming in just like I am. It's me. Yeah, I'm not, I, I don't want that. So look what the king says. The king looks at him and he says to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? Why did you do that? Why are you coming without a wedding garment? And he had no answer. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him in outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What does that sound like? Anyway, it sounds not good, right? Anybody want to go to outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth? Okay, so that's probably, we can safely say that's a bad place to go. What's the very next line? For many are called, but what? Few are chosen. What did it, what did it say? Jacob, I have chosen in Israel to be my special treasure. So here's what I want you to see. God has chosen Christ. He's invited everyone to the wedding. Everyone, good and bad. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, no matter what your life looks like. The invitation has gone to you. You receive that invitation how? The Bible tells us, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel says, the gospel goes out, that's the invitation. The gospel goes, the word of God tells in Isaiah 55, every time the word of God goes out, it will accomplish what it's sent to do. That means it'll go and it will call you. It will call you. How many are called? Many. Many are called. So how is it that we come? What does the Bible tell us? It says, He chose us 
in Christ. So when we come to the wedding feast, what do we got to be? We got to be in Christ, right? You get what I'm saying? Got to be in Christ. How's that pictured? The wedding garment. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. So what happened? Christ went to the cross and died to present to us wedding clothes. What do we do? Put on Christ. If you put on Christ, what happens? You're in. You're chosen because Christ is chosen. And if you're in Christ, you're chosen in Christ. You guys get what I'm saying? It's not a case where the Bible's talking about God chose you, chose you, and not you. God chose you, 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 and not you. God chose Christ. And if you get in Christ, if you put on the wedding garment, you can come in. If you won't put on the wedding garment, what happens? Bad, right? Jesus said, I am the way, the... How many people come to the Father apart from Him? Nobody. Right? What do you got to do? Got to put on the wedding clothes. Are you with me so far? Is everybody tracking kind of the idea of being chosen? Now, considering that, before we go back to Psalms, flip over to Ephesians chapter 1. So Ephesians is in the, the Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians area, which is Gentiles eat pork chops, or somebody else had a different one. Say it again. God eats popcorn. That'll work. What did you do? General Electric Power Company. So, you guys get the idea? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, G-E-P-C. Okay, so, go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians, incredible book, and we don't have time to study it all. And I think I, I, I put the slide up at verse 3, but I'm going to, I'm going to, where am I going to start? I'm going to start at verse 4. Oh, well, that's one verse. We'll do three. So, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Where? In Christ. What's that mean? Do I have a spiritual blessing without Christ? Do I got anything without Christ? No. So where's all the spiritual blessing that God's given us? In Christ. How do I get in Christ? I got to put on a wedding garment, right? God has chosen Christ. Look what he says. The very next phrase. Just as He, God, chose us, you with me? In Him, Christ. God chose us in Christ. God chose us in Christ. God said, look, everyone who is in Christ, I'm going to save. Everyone who is in Christ, I'm going to save. And He said that before He made one of us. Are you with me? So if you're in Christ... That begins from verse 4, we move forward, okay? We're in Christ. And uh, he says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, so that he would do what for us? That we should be holy and without blame with him in love. So when we're in Christ, remember what I told you? He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, so that we might become holy and without and righteous without blame, Right? Because of us? No, why? Because we got where? In Christ. In Christ. We heard the invitation. We came to a wedding feast. We put on Christ. Everybody still with me? Everybody still with me? So we work our way through. Not only does he make us holy and without blame, 
He also predestined us to adoptions as sons. What's that mean? If you're in Christ, your adoption is not a maybe. If you're in Christ, your adoption is predestined. If he starts to work, how's it go? If he starts to work, he might quit halfway like we do. How many projects we got in the garage we ain't finished? Oh, John, you're a rare bird. <laughs> so he's going to finish. So we're predestined to adoption by who? Jesus Christ. To whom? To himself. So it's all in him. Are you guys with me? In Christ, in him, by Jesus, by himself. These are all things that we have in Christ according to the good pleasure of his will. Whose will? The will of Christ. The will of Jesus, he's done it for us. To do what? To praise our glory? To praise our wisdom? Who's it to praise? To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Where are we accepted? In the beloved. What's in the beloved? Who, who, what's, what's John 3.16? God so loved the world that he gave his... Only begotten Son. What's another way to say that? One and only special Son. The Beloved. He gave us His Beloved. So when we're in His Beloved, He has made us what? Accepted. We're accepted. Uh, Can you be saved outside of Christ? No. So you get saved where? Inside Christ. Where you have all of these promises that that Ephesians chapter 1 lays out for us. Look at verse 7. He begins, in him, in whom? In Christ, right? In Christ, we have redemption through his blood. Now you guys know I'm talking about Jesus, right? He's the one who died on the cross for us. In him, we have redemption. So when we're in Christ, we're redeemed. When we're in Christ, we're forgiven. When we're in Christ, we have the riches of his grace. You see, all that we have is a reward, the spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. Uh, According to the riches of His grace, verse 8, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself. Was there something special we did? No. Was there something special God did? Yeah. Yeah. He chose Christ. He sent His Son His son died for you and I. And if we will simply accept the invitation that the king is offering to whosoever will, and we come to the wedding feast and we put on Christ, we're in. You with me? Nothing special about me. It's nothing special about me. It's everything that God has done by his grace. Then in verse 10, the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one, So what's the one thing he's gathering everything together in? He tells us in the next phrase. Gather together in one all things in Christ. Where do we got to be? Where's salvation found? Where's all the answers? Where's all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge hidden? The Bible tells over and over in Christ, in him, in Christ. In the Pauline epistles, 13 books of the New Testament, 169 times Paul emphasizes that we have to be in Christ. You think it's important? 169 times ought to be enough for us to go, you know, I think that's an important phrase. That we need to be in Christ. It's not about me. 
It's about Jesus being in him, being found in him. He's going he's to fulfill all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth. Where? In him. How many times have you said it so far? I'll make it easy for you. First 14 verses, he's going to say 10 times. In Christ, in him, he wants, we need to be found. In him, verse 11. Also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined. Now all predestined means is that once God starts, he finishes. If you're in Christ, God promises to get it done. In Christ equals God will finish me. He predestined. All those who are in Christ would, would, are going to be called, justified, glorified, sanctified. All the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. That's what the scripture tells us. Where we need to be? In Christ, man. We've got to have a relationship. We've got to be in Him. Predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. How did God choose to save mankind? In Christ. Right? In Christ, we have salvation. That's where it's all at. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. Do we get praise for what He's done? No, are you kidding me? That's like saying, I was drowning, and a guy threw me one of them little floaty donut things, and I grabbed it. Well, aren't I a hero? (laughs) No, man. You're probably dumb for being drowning in the first place. Nobody praises the dude who grabbed the ring. Do they? The guy who jumps out of the helicopter and grabs you, that's the hero. That's where the glory goes. Who's that for us? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, to the the glory of of his to the praise of his glory. Now, we ask ourselves, then how do I get in? How do I put these clothes on? How am I in Christ? That's what verse 13 answers. Look what it says. In him, in Christ, how do I get there? You also trusted when? After you heard the word of truth. What's the word of truth? The gospel of your salvation. So how is it that God calls? Through the gospel. It's the power of God and the salvation. The word of God accomplishes what it's supposed to do. Every man has an opportunity to suppress the truth that God, God presents to him through the word of God. You suppress to your last day. It's up to you. But he said, remember in the thing, how many are called? Many are called and what? If you are chosen. Because you can only be chosen if you put on who? Christ. I got to put on the wedding garment. I got to put on Christ. I got to put on, you guys with me? So this is what it means to be chosen. This is what it means to be elect. This is what it means to belong to God, man. This is what he's talking about. So in him, in whom, that being in Christ, also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. What's that mean? That means we ain't seen any of it yet. We ain't seen it. God has justified, God is sanctifying, but one day God will glorify and we will see with our own eyes the redemption that God's given us. Why did he give it to us? Because we came to Jesus Christ by faith. We said, I can't save myself and it's not about me or whatever sin I want to cling to. I can't come to Jesus that way. That's coming without his robe. If I put on his robe, I reject everything. I reject all the things I think are right, all the things I think are good. I reject this world and I take on Christ. 
That's how we do it, man. Repent and believe. Repent means to change direction, man. It's not okay. I got to dump that. And I take, I lay hold of him with all I'm worth. Because he saves and this other don't. It don't. You ask anybody who's running down the world doing whatever they want. If they're being saved by what they're doing. Guarantee. If it was true, what's everybody swallowing shotguns for? Throwing pills down their belly. How come these guys who have the whole world by the tail and have all these hit songs and all this stuff going on, how come they kill themselves? How come they pitch it all? How come it's all empty to them? Because the Bible said, everything is emptiness without God. Everything's empty without God. And I can't have God in my sin. So I repent, turn my back on my sin, and I put on Christ. Man, he does the rest. He does that work. That's what it means to be chosen. So when we go back to Psalms, that's a a long segue. Come back to Psalms. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself. Jacob. What's another name for Jacob? Israel. You think he's talking about a single person? Or is he talking about the nation here? Talking about the nation. And how did they become part of Israel? By faith in in the first covenant. By faith in the promises of God. How do we become part of the body of Christ? By faith in the second covenant, right? We put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's, it's all the same. It's all, it's all the same uh, um, picture we see working through. He has chosen Jacob for himself and Israel for his special treasure. Because he's God and he gets to decide how he's going to save. Everybody okay with that? He's God, he gets to pick. He could have said, I'll save if everybody can find a unicorn and catch it and uh, ride it the rest of their life. But he didn't. He said, I'm going to save you through Jesus Christ, my son. All right? So it's, it's his choice, it's his plan, it's his purpose. So this psalm's all about praising God for his sovereignty, for his power, for his ability to save them. We're in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant. You with me? And if we translate this to us in the New Testament, it would be simply the only difference would be under the New Covenant, Christ. The Old Covenant was a picture, right? A, a shadow of things to come. What was it that sheep that died? When they, when they all went at Passover, think about it. Passover. Uh, when Passover was happening, you remember, there was a guy in charge of Egypt. What do they call him? Pharaoh. What did God do to Pharaoh. Hardened his heart. For what purpose? To redeem his people. Did he harden Pharaoh's heart forever? Nope. He hardened it all the way through the ten plagues. So you would get to the Passover. What happened at the Passover? The lamb died. And once the lamb died, everyone who put the blood of the lamb on their doorpost, what happened to them? They were saved. That doesn't sound familiar to anybody? What did Jesus do when he came? Whose eyes did he harden? The eyes of the Jews. For what purpose? A redemptive purpose. To do what? To bring the cross. So that the invitation could go out. God chooses. That's how God chooses. It's not pick and choose solo individuals and you're out. He, he, He chooses how he will save. And you either get in the boat or you drown. That's on you. 
Everybody with me? So when we come here, that's what he's going to do in the rest of this psalm. Look at it. For I know that the Lord is great. Think about it, the, just the beauty of what God has done. And our Lord is above all gods. <coughs> Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. In heaven and in the earth, in the seas and in all the deep places. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. And He makes lightning from the rain. He brings the wind out of His treasury. What's He saying? Look, God's got the power to do what God says He's going to do. So if God says He can save... Does he have the power to do it? Yeah. He's got the power to do it. He's God, man. And then he's going to give us some examples. Look at the examples. He destroyed the firstborn of Egypt. Why? He didn't just wipe them out just to wipe them out. What was the purpose? Remember? It was for a redemptive purpose. You guys with me? The Passover, the lamb, the blood of the lamb that... That, that if we apply the blood of the Lamb, we're going to be saved. That was why. It had a reason. It's not just random cruelty. It's God saying, look, this is how I save. Through a Lamb. Your faith and trust in God. He destroyed the firstborn, both of man and beast. He Look at all the th- verbs. He destroyed. He sent. He defeated. He slew. He gave. Um, <clears throat> he will judge. And he will have compassion. These are all things. This is how God is is working and moving. Still today, still the same way. He destroyed the firstborn of Egypt, the man and beast. He sent signs and wonders into the midst of you, O Egypt. He sent them to Pharaoh and on his servants. He defeated many nations and slew mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites, Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of, of Canaan. And he gave their land as a heritage, as a promise. A heritage to Israel, his people. So your name, O Yahweh, endures forever. Your fame, O Yahweh, throughout all generations. For Yahweh will judge his people, and he will have compassion on his servants. Now God said, I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion upon whom I will have compassion. When he's saying that, what's he saying about? Yeah, I picked Israel, and they're a bunch of chumps. And they mess up all the time. But who are you to tell me I can't do that? I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. If I want to give him grace, what's that to you? He's God, right? Is he able? Don't God get to decide who he's going to, who he's going to bestow that grace upon? I'm thankful. If he gave grace to chumps, will he give it to the rest of us? Yeah, I got news for you. We all fit in that category. Just in case you were thinking, you know, I'm not a chump. Everybody else is. But not me, I, I got it all together. No, man, we, there's only one category of mankind. That's it. So God, man, God is, God is graceful. God is compassionate. God is merciful. Will he judge? Absolutely he will. If I keep saying no to God, what happens? God, at any day, any day, God could say, that's the last time I'm going to ask you. Think about this story. Remember the story about the guy going out and inviting people to the marriage? They went out multiple times, didn't they? To the same people before the, the, the king said, you know what? Forget it. I'm not going to you. I'm going to go to everybody else. Now, eschatologically, that's a big word. Everybody know what that means? Eschatologically means in terms of last days, prophetic value, what's happening in the end times. 
eschatologically, God hardened the heart of the Jews, closed their eyes, but was it forever? What happened on the day of Pentecost? Who got saved? Jews. Who else? Probably some Gentiles in there too. What about the next time? 5,000 people got saved. No Jews? Nope. There was Jews there too, huh? Jews got saved then and some Gentiles. Acts chapter 10. God starts reaching out more and more to the Gentile community. For what purpose? According to Romans 9, 10, and 11, it's so that the Jew will get jealous and soften his heart and come. And come. But what do we know for sure? Prophetically, on Sundays we're studying the 70 weeks of Daniel. Um, Probably still be there for a couple of weeks. So this is a preview. I haven't talked about this yet. There's, a, there's one week left. 69 weeks are over. God says 70 weeks are determined for your people and your holy city. Who is Daniel's people? The Jew. Who's the holy city? Jerusalem. One period left. One seven-year frame that we like to call the tribulation. You call it whatever you want. But there's one week left when God's going to do what? Call Israel to repentance. So God's not even done calling them. He hasn't wrote them off. There's another call yet to come. There's another call from God during that period of time. You want to read about it? Revelation 6 through 19. The book of Revelation is a piece of cake, guys. First chapter of Revelation, what do we got? The unveiling of Jesus Christ. You get a vision of Jesus Christ. Who he is, what he looks like, how he deals with uh, the nations. Chapter 2 and 3, seven letters to seven churches. First, Jesus came, and then what was birthed? The church. So you have seven letters to seven churches, covers all of church history, and there's problems. All those problems in those seven churches are still with us today. So if we listen to Jesus' word to the seven churches, it'll probably help us be the kind of church we need to be. Amen? What happens in chapter 4? Well, it's easy. In chapter 4, John looks up into heaven, and Jesus looks down and says, John, come up here. What do we call that? I call that the rapture. You call it whatever you want, but <clears throat> knock yourself out. He says, come up here, and what happens? The church is not in the rest of the book of Revelation. Don't that mean something? I don't know. It seems like it means something to me. Chapter 5 is a song of the redeemed. So the churches are all gathered around Jesus singing a song that he saved us by his blood. Only one group can sing that song. The song of the redeemed. Chapter 6, you have the four horsemen of the apocalypse and the tribulation period begins. 6 through 19 is the final seven year period of time. In biblical history, as God turns his attention to the Jew, once again calling the nation of Israel to be saved, according to Zechariah, two-thirds of the nation of Israel is going to die. They're going to reject, they're going to be judged, they're going to die. One-third is going to come to faith, and all of Israel will be saved. Because the only ones who are of Israel are the ones who come to God by faith. You don't get there because your grandpa was a Jew. You get there because you have faith in the Messiah. Then what happens? Chapter 19, the end of chapter 19, we, we have the return of Jesus Christ to earth. His feet hits the ground. He puts a, a, a flag in the ground and says, This is mine. I'm the king. And all you knuckleheads are done. 
And I, I can't wait for that president, because the rest of them, quite frankly, I'm not so thrilled about. So, he sets up his kingdom, chapter 20. The kingdom of Jesus Christ lasts for a thousand years. Chapter 21, 22, a new heaven and a new earth, and we live happily ever after. I just did a whole book of Revelation in five minutes. That's the book of Revelation, man. Okay, there's more stuff, but you get a basic idea. The basic, a basic outline. So what's my point? Look, God's still dealing with the Jew. And in Romans 9, you don't believe me? Romans 9, 10, and 11. Paul says it in every one of those chapters. God's not done. God's not done. God's not done. He's got purposes for them, through them, and to them. So man, God knows what he's doing and we can trust him. Is there any other God that saves? What's Psalm 135 say? The idols of the nations are silver and gold. What in the world does every nation worship? Oh, come on. They all worship money. I don't care who they are. I don't care if they have any. They all worship it. Can you worship money if you don't have any? Can you worship money if you have a lot? Funny how that works, right? The, the idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouth. Those who make them are like them. You think about that phrase? Basically, he just said, man, idols are idiots. And those who make them are what? They're like them. They're empty-headed, unable to say anything intelligent, unable to understand anything. But where's all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge hid? In where? Christ. In Christ. Everything is in Christ. We've got to be in Christ. So verse 19, Bless the Lord, O house of Israel. Bless the Lord, O house of Aaron. Bless the Lord, O house of Levi. And you who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Psalm 135, Blessed be the Lord out of Zion who dwells in Jerusalem. And it ends like it started. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hey, I think we can do Psalm 136. I'm only a minute out. But Psalm 136 is a pretty incredible psalm. And I, there's, no, there's nothing I want to necessarily teach out of it. I just want us to do it. You guys do it with me? So I'm going to read the first part. You read the second part. Your line's always the same. So here's your line, just in case you don't know it. For his mercy endures forever. Go ahead, say it. Okay, let's see how good you are. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Good. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. Come on, get some zest in there. To him who by wisdom made the heavens. To him who laid out the earth above the water. To him who made great lights. The sun to rule by day. The moon and stars to rule by night. To him who struck Egypt in their firstborn. And brought out Israel from among them. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea in two. 
and made Israel pass through the midst of it. But he overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. He slew famous kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. And gave their land as a heritage. A heritage to Israel, his servant. Who remembered us in our lowly estate. And rescued us from our enemies. Who gives food to all flesh. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven. What do you think the point of that psalm is? Oh, that's not so hard, is it? You guys are all right. Let's go before the Lord. Why don't you stand with me and let's, uh, let's pray.